Happy September, ladies and gentlemen. I recently bought a coat in preparation for the times ahead. And the outside pockets were stitched together. Boy, I thought I got finessed. <laughs> in the words of Gavis Chakti, bring the noise. FM Podcast Network. I am Charlie Taylor, and this is my scoop. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you've all had a good week in the circumstances. Yeah, so I bought a coat, right? And it's a really nice coat. So um, this is this is something I've been wanting uh, since my previous coat. Um, so I had the I back in the day, not back in the day, but a few years ago, um, I had this coat. There was, um, you know, it started off very long on me, right? But um, I grew into it, and. Um, it was my favorite coat. It was just, it was just so it's nice, right? It was, uh, it was nice and um, you know, just like woolly wool material, right? <coughs> um, one of them, you know, like a trench coat but wool, right? Instead of a, you know, like a Mac or whatever, or um, or you know, the shit that they wore in the Matrix, right? It's, 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 it's like that lengthwise, but not obviously material-wise, and you know, a little bit snugger, a little bit tighter, right? So I got one of those. Um, and I've been wanting one of those since my previous one um, that uh, I kind of I kind of abused. Um, you know, you can't wash it. You can't. Uh, the only way you can clean it anyway is dry clean. And uh, by the time I initially, by the time I found that out, uh, which was like first year of uni, um, it, it was it was it was long gone. It was long gone. Uh, every time it got wet. Uh, I got, uh, it just started to smell like dog, like there was just so much dog hair on it, you know what I mean, just entrenched, you know, stuff, this stuff was so entrenched in it, it was just, ugh, it, as soon as it turned, uh, as soon as it got wet, psh, started stinking up the place, but yeah, I got a new one, and, um, you know, it was a very good deal, uh, I got a good deal on it, and uh, hence why I copped it, partly why I copped it, and, um, you know, I, I got it today, and, um, I was just like, damn, this is, oh, I, was, I put it on, I was like, jeez, this is clean, oh, this is perfect, absolutely perfect fit, right, you know, you just get a perfect fit, just bangs so nice, just feels so nice, right, uh, and then I tried to put my hands in my pocket, and, um, I couldn't get my hands in the pockets, and I was just like, what's going on here, so I hit up my boy, and I was just like, bro, why is, why is my, uh, why are my pockets sewn together? And it was like, um, you know, what did it say on the thing? I said two exterior pockets. It was like, you should probably, you probably have to like snip them, uh, snip the, f- uh, snip the, uh, the, the, <sighs> snip, snip the uh, stitch, snip stitch, right? And I'm just like, but why not just give me a pocket? Like, why do I have to go for all this? Um, so yeah, uh, I did eventually um, find out that uh, it was stitched together, and I wasn't, and I wasn't finessed. Um, it is not a coat with no pockets. It does have pockets. You just have to cut them stitches. Um, so yeah, and you know, with that said, I am now happy. But boy, I was low key a little bit pissed um, when I initially tried to put my hands in my pockets and it was just blocking me off. I was just like, "What the fuck's going on here? Can't be doing with that." Um, and I also got like uh, myself like a waterproof. Uh, uh, is it kangaroo? Like you know, like a kangaroo, um, like a classic kangaroo hoodie, but a coat version. Uh, waterproof to hell. Put my hand, put put um, put it through a uh, you know that water test, and it just beads off. I love it. I love it when shit just beads off. It's so, I don't know, I, I just love it. Um, anyway, that is my that is my winter preparation sorted. 
because I've been needed to web pro for a while. I might need to get some boots. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm debating it. My my Tims are on their last legs. So I'm not sure if they'll last another winter. Um, so I'm not sure whether to get one just to get a new pair ahead of time. You know what I mean? Just in case, or just wait till uh, uh wait wait if uh, wait to see if my Tims survive another winter. I've had those for release. Like I don't know, a few years now. Um, but anyway. Winter preparation aside, I'm only saying this because, you know, it's the start, it's September, and I usually just um, think of September as uh, summer dying, so I was just like, okay, let me just start thinking ahead, and uh, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of, that's kind of where I'm at, uh, but happy September, everybody, I hope everybody's doing well, and I hope everyone had a good August, um, I think I think mine was, you know, it was okay, I got back into, you know, festivals, tings, I went to Maiden Voyage the past, uh, last year. Uh, Recently, got some good photos, got some good pickies, and um, yeah, it was a good day. It was a real, real good day, real, real nice day, real great acts. Uh, Ashy Henry, Alpha Mist, Moses Boyd, uh, Children of Zeus, Jamie, uh, Giles Peterson, just good, just, just some great stuff all around. Great music, great, great live music, and great vibe, very fairgroundy vibe. Um, and I'm here for that. It's, it's good. It's like, it's like an adult playground in some way. Um, didn't get a COVID check, but I got searched to the wazoo, man. I got searched to hell. I got, I got searched everywhere, man. They, they gave me the the metal thing, the you know what I mean. Just they get they searched bag everything, man. Like all but all but grabbing my cheeks. Honestly, it's crazy. But anyway, no COVID check, but you know had to grab them cheeks still. Like what the fuck? Anyway. We have uh, two music, uh, sports, and a uh, life uh, segment for you guys for this episode. And without further ado, for my we begin. Email to IG, Discord link as well. All that, all that, all that, all that, all that in the full show notes. Go pick the articles for yourself and support the writers that make this episode, that make this show possible. And with that said, let the beat drop. Let's get to the show. In a week where UK, US and other countries end their evacuation flights out of Afghanistan and that is it ladies and gentlemen, that is your 20 year war sorted, done and dusted, of course. Uh, apparently there are uh, about, uh, according to the home office, a thousand people, uh, not a thousand, a, hu- a couple of hundred people, um, uh, you know, it, uh, it pertains to like a British interest um, still in Afghanistan, um, no idea how they're going to get out. Uh, but I, I, I'm, I, th- I feel like hundred is a, uh, you know, <laughs> a very, very generous uh, word for it. I'm sure. I'm, I'm assuming there's uh, at least a couple of hundred. Team GB Paralympic sit as I speak third on the medal table. They were second, but have now been overtaken by um the, <laughs> the RPC. Um, yeah, and uh, lastly, uh, Hurricane Ida tears through the US South. I wish I'd begin with, uh, well, kind of a two-parter, but, you know, um, well, you'll, you'll get why. You'll, you'll get where I'm getting at, uh, as pertains to that. Uh, so, yeah, we begin with, uh, what is it, music? Yeah, first first of two music segments. And um, this is uh, just a, a conversation uh, about uh, rap and uh, their relation, and rap's relationship with uh, COVID. Um, it's, it's really weird. It's been really weird now. Um, it's, getting, it's getting to a trend where I'm seeing... You know, um, artists, uh, hip hop artists, um, you know, either not say anything about vaccines or, uh, 
or just outright, I don't know, anti-mask, sometimes anti-vax, like, it's just, it's just upsetting, it's just upsetting, it's becoming a bit of a trend, um, you know, I feel like the only people that have actually actively, um, made a statement about, uh, you know, uh, COVID and that is, uh, funny enough, juvenile and them, uh, doing that, back that thing up, uh, <laughs> back that thing up, um, so, you know, shout to them, but damn, there's so many people just like, um, I don't know, it's just, just giving off vibes, it's giving off, uh, worrying vibes, so this is, um, by Andre G, uh, Raps Complicated Relationship with COVID Mandates and Vaccines via Complex, shout to Andre G, the G, the G, the G, COVID can suck a dick, Buster Rhymes said on stage in June, voicing the valid frustrations of millions who have lost loved ones and had their lives upended amid the COVID-19 pandemic. He could have stopped there, but then he kept going, quote, all these little weird policies and government mandates suck a dick, unquote. It was clear where his justified distrust of the government had taken him over the past 18 months of pandemic. He demanded that officials, quote, stop trying to take our civil liberties away. Unquote, and irresponsibly exclaimed, fuck your mask. Then he reeled off the things one can't do while wearing a mask, including eating and being seen smiling. He's right that the mask is an inconvenience, but it's a necessary one. Science shows that not wearing a mask makes you more susceptible to COVID. A virus has claimed the lives of many uh, people whose families wish they were still around to eat and smile with. COVID-19 has morphed into a more contagious Delta variant. It has a risk of more mutations down the line. There are many people who have acknowledged the virus's dangers and the usefulness of vaccines, but others have carelessly gnashed out the various elements of this prolonged COVID nightmare with a similar as Buster, Pete Rock, NLE Chopper and more. Buster's anti-mask stance isn't new or rare, but artists' influence and notoriety mark them as the anti-Fauci's for hordes of everyday people who have called the illness a hoax. Decree the use of masks or theorise that the vaccine has nefarious intentions. Musicians from other genres such as Eric Clapton, Noel Gallagher, John Rich of Big and Rich, uh, Joseph Arthur uh, and more have come out against vaccines and masks. Van Morrison even recorded three lockdown protest songs. Did you know? I'm sure they slapped. Uh, But there's a specific context for the scepticism of conservatives in black and brown communities all over the world who have been victimised by racist colonial policies and deadly malpractice for centuries. Excuse me. It's difficult to ask, uh, talk to some groups, uh, to talk some groups out of an inherent distrust of politicians, academics, scientists, and yes, Dr. Fauci, which leaves them susceptible uh, to uh, misinformation from memes, uh, wayward TikTokers, grifters, and other uninterrogated quote-unquote sources. Some of these people include entertainers who, egos in tow, are taking those uh, taking those beliefs to public pulpits and allowing their moral righteousness to obstruct their own biggest priority, their ability to tour and make money unimpeded. The longer the pandemic goes on and restrictions remain, un- remain necessary, the harder it will be for them to get back to normal. But for some, their ideology and paranoia trumps everything. The doubters don't represent hip-hop as a whole, there, uh, as there are artists who have been who are being responsible with their platforms, Sky Zoo has said that he's vaccinated and jokingly urged his followers to wash your hands and kick half a verse uh, to get <laughs> to get the recommended twenty six hour hand washing. That's good. That's smart. Paul Wall has urged people to get vaccinated. Oh yeah, he did do that. I remember that. Uh, DMC partnered with Hip Hop Public Health on r- videos aimed at increasing vaccinations in Black and Brown communities. 
Jeezy and other rappers have shared pictures of themselves getting vaccinated on social media. Juvenile dropped the humorous but well-meaning Vaxer thing up in July, remixing his Back the Ass Up, uh, as up uh, classic, as, uh, and told CNN it was, quote, a great way to put awareness out there for people like me and people that look like me. Uh, unquote. Lupe Fiasco has said he won't be allowing unvaxxed people into his shows and has been adamant about disproving COVID conspiracies on social media. Unfounded COVID rumours arrived the first documented cases in America. There was a brief period when people actually believed black people were impervious to COVID. The fuss over the health risks of 5G uh, fed a conspiracy that states were being locked down audience to sell 5G towers outside the public eye. Just this week, there were unfounded rumours of imminent tw- COVID-22 virus. Yes, that was uh, that, that was um, that was interesting uh, to go around. Um, Buster had previously uh, expressed that he felt like COVID quarantine was re-enslavement uh, during a December 2020 conversation with LA radio station 92.3's The Cruise Show. He griped, quote, Fuck every city that's locking down shit. When our co-host replied, We got a quarantine to stop COVID, Buster said the following, quote, Everybody gotta be responsible, but I never knew uh, when it was a time in life, when it was a time in life where politics dictated how well how our wellness and self-preservation should be. End of the day, we leave that to the medical department, to science, and our own instinctual and intellectual selves to be able to know how to take care of ourselves, unquote. But it's to medical departments with the direction of science who suggested a quarantining where a mask would be the best thing to stifle the worldwide spread of the, of the virus. There are dozens of scientific studies that suggest, quote, the efficacy of mask wearing to some degree shows the spread of COVID-19, unquote. Quarantine and work for Hong Kong, who issued a mandatory lockdown established quarantine centres. Wall Street Journal reported that, that as of January, uh, January 1st, the densely populated city had a relatively low rate of one reported COVID-19 death per 54,810 people. A similar devotion and sense of community could have drastically lowered our COVID rates, but instead millions of Americans are like Buster who lean on their quote-unquote instinct and intellect over science and medical advice and are fighting against restrictions. Many many victimised anti-maskers agree with Harvard professor uh, Martin Kulldorff's assertion that quote, for thousands of years disease pathogens have spread from person to person. Never before have carriers been blamed for infecting the next sick person. That is a very dangerous ideology, unquote. His suggestion is widely wildly omissive of AIDS and other diseases that have been blamed on ethnic groups and will serve as a uh, service fuel for America's already rife individualism. Buster noted in his June concert speech, quote, I come from a time when even before I used to want to holler at a chick, I used to have to do shit with my face to let her know that I'm into her. All of that energy gets blocked with your mask is on. <laughs> Oh, what? Does that, what does that have to do with anything? Okay, um, unquote. Uh, the master wordsmith was able to mask his selfish desires as a plea to love and community. Many people want to keep the party going while people are dying. It's a tenuous prospect to expect a society condition to go for self, uh, to go for self, to suddenly uh, become conscious of the collective. The GOP's anti-lockdown rhetoric has been focused on stimulating the economy and getting people back to work, even at the expense of people's safety. This year has reaffirmed the ideological links between conservative politicians and entertainers. Some of those used to earning uh, used to earning five to six figures uh, sh- from shows are running against uh, shutdown orders because their livelihood is being affected and exorbitant bills are due. 
When one is entitled to the pursuit of happiness, and happiness is tied to money, safety protocols get conflated with enslavement, hence Buster's fiery uh, rebukes of COVID restrictions. But again, uh, entertainers won't be able to get back to a consistent schedule of nationwide touring until more people quarantine and get vaccinated. Uh, the figurative second wave of COVID misinformation has fixated on vaccines, and the rap world ha- has had plenty to say about getting the jab. Big Sean let us know on, doc- on the Dr. Sebi referencing harder than my demons. No, sir, I don't even do flu shots. Juicy J tweeted, deleted. If I was you, I wouldn't get vaccinated. I would wear a mask and take vitamins. Obviously, they say vitamins. Uh, many were confused that Jim Jones told the public... Uh, yeah... <laughs> were confused that Jim Jones told the public to stay safe to stay safe after his own recent COVID battle but didn't suggest getting vaccinated. Legendary producer Pete Rock tweeted and deleted his assertion that vaccine shit is real stupid. How are you giving vaccine to people who aren't sick? Question mark, question mark, question mark. During a breakfast uh, during a recent black breakfast club interview, offset surmise, quote, there are four different Oh god, this is painful to read. There are four there's four different versions. I ain't trying to do all that. And then one got cancelled. I'm not trying to be a lab rat. Uh, wow, he actually barred it. I didn't even clock that. He tried. It, I wonder if he know that he barred that. I ain't trying to do that. And then one got cancelled. I'm not trying to be a lab rat. Bars. Uh, I'm vaccinated. Bars. Oh wait, I'm probably gonna get it. Unquote. He was uncertain, but at least open to getting it. Presumably, after a satisfactory time has passed, it's reasonable for him to be wary of what he puts in his body, but at least he didn't turn his apprehension into a conspiracy over the airwaves. For so many, anxiety over vaccines doesn't just come from fears that they could have, uh, they could be flawed and cause adverse reactions for some people. Some believe that vaccines are intentionally harmful. Many of those people feel like a TikToker whose anti-vaccine breakdown was debunked by scientists and fellow TikTokers. Lupe Fiasco posted a debunking video on his page with the option poke poke. Uh, he's been vocally supportive of C- CDC recommendations and said that he'd be re- he'd be requiring vac- re- vaccinations at his future shows. He tweeted, quote, every time I faithfully study this me- medical black wokeness, it ends up being a bunch of bullshit promoted by folks selling CMOS shakes and possessing the scientific death of a bag of flaming hots. <laughs> flaming hots. <laughs> flaming hots. Uh, some of us actually stayed in school, unquote. In nice terms, there's too much opportunistic pseudoscience out there. Okay, this is getting, uh, this is very long and uh, I'm run up on time, so I'll, I'll get into the last uh, paragraph just for sake. The continued suspicions about COVID and vaccine mandates represents a confluence of misinformation, ego and delusion. Many of the artists who have come out against vaccines are doing much better than those who are behind, the rent, behind on rent and wondering where their next check or job prospect is coming from. But instead of being grateful for the comfort of their quarantine, or they can even have limit shows at this point, these artists have taken to the public uh, to spell their unfounded fears of COVID. Ultimately, the longer that COVID restrictions are in place, the longer it will take to bring their careers back to any sense of normal operation. Instead of fighting that reality with anti-vax and anti-mask theories, artists should do the necessary research to inform themselves and in turn encourage their fans to do the right thing for their health. On that last point, I kind of get um when 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 you know when when people say like uh, I still need to do research, I just tune out. Uh, I know that's not what like you know Andre's saying there in that fashion, but uh, when are when like, not even artists, but like especially sports people, which we'll literally get to next, uh, when they say I, I need to do more research, uh, you know, I, mean, I need to ask doctors and stuff, like. Most of the time, they have doctors on hand, right? They're sports people. They're going to have doctors around, right? 
for keeping in 100 whether you're a rapper or anyone else uh if you're if you if you're not gonna if you haven't done research uh, at this point in the game let's be real you, you never you, you're not you're not gonna do anything <laughs> don't don't act like you're gonna be active about it Now we get into sport and the sports version of anti-vax athletes um, or anti-vax people anyway, um, and this is just more jarring because obviously the logical, you know, point to the logical uh, thread to to do here is the fact that sports people, unlike rappers, um, need uh, need their bodies to you know do the thing they want to do. So why would you risk getting COVID and dying? We're here to find let's find out. So this is an article by Jonathan Liu uh, via The Guardian. Anti-vax athlete stance shows myths cut across boundaries of privilege. Uh, so let's jump right in. A few years ago, I was in India on an England cricket tour, watching net practice. It was a baking hot day at the Feroz Shah Kotla Stadium in Delhi. And for the observing media, the only available shade was next to a small marquee. Really, just a glorified tent that had been erected for the batsmen to pad up and the bowlers to take a breather. It was while perching on this very spot that I became aware of the surreal conversation taking place on the other side of the cameras. Have you guys heard of Junior Sanche? One of the uh, England players was asking his teammates. It's a mad story. I was up until about I was up till about 4 a.m. Uh, reading about it. He's a WikiLeaks hacker who published all these secrets about the U.S. government and all their wars and stuff. And so what the uh, and so what the U.S. did? They basically framed him for rape and tried to get him extradited to Sweden. It's mad. Of course, there were significant elements to the player's rambling account that, shall we say, owed rather to the bizarro world alternative truths of the internet than the official record. But above all, I gained an understanding of just how vulnerable an athlete must be to these sorts of wormholes. All those long nights in strange hotel rooms with nothing but a phone, a Wi-Fi connection, and a raging, unslaked curiosity. Indeed, if you were a sinister conspiracist on the search for your next mark, you could do a lot worse than a professional athlete, a highly impressionable young person with a thirst for knowledge and self-edification, hours of free time and relatively little contact with mainstream society. Is a thought worth bearing in mind as we consider a more recent sporting phenomenon, the quiet emergence of the vaccine skeptic. It's actually a great point. I actually never thought about this in terms of like how people live and how you know detached they are from everything else and how much time they have on their hands. You know, free time. It's interesting to think about. Uh, last week, the world number three men's tennis player Stefanos Tsitsipas uh, was asked during the Western and Southern Open about his stance of vaccines. "Quote: For me, the vaccine has not been tested enough. Here we go. Here, here we fucking go. Hasn't been. T- here we go. Okay, continuing on. Let's just let's burn right through this." For me, the vaccine has not been tested enough. It is new. It has some side effects, he replied. I just see no reason for someone in my age group to need to be vaccinated. I think the concept was for the vaccine to be given to older people. For us young people, I think it's good to pass the virus because we will build immunity, unquote. Sissipas' comments were met with a stiff rebuke by the Greek government, and yet he was far from alone in his hesitancy. World number one, Novak Djokovic, has frequently articulated his opposition to being vaccinated despite catching coronavirus last summer. Top 10 women's player, uh, play, yeah, women's players, uh, Elena Svitolina and 
Irina Sabalenka uh, both expressed uh, expressed uh, skepticism earlier this year. Svitolina became her friends <laughs> because <laughs> Svitolina because her friends warned her against it. Sabalenka because quote they made it really quick, not enough time to make a good one. Unquote. Ugh, punch me in the face, please. <laughs> Okay, one coach recently told Sports Illustrated that he estimates only 30% of the players have been inoculated. In this country, where the vaccination campaign has been a resounding success, public scepticism has been rarer, but it is still out there. In May, the Exeter Chief Centre, Henry Slade, sta- stated, Henry Slade stated, Slade Slated stated, uh, that he would not be accepting the vaccine as, quote, I don't think you can trust it, unquote. Okay. Last month, the Everton midfielder Fabian Delph shared an anti-vaccine Instagram post, and we should probably and we should probably be realistic about this. Given the public sensitivities sensitivities around the topic, we are seeing uh, what we are seeing is almost certainly the tip of the iceberg. Despite intermittent COVID-19 outbreaks, vaccine coverage in England English football remains patchy. Newcastle manager Steve Bruce said last week that many of his players have refused a vaccine, citing conspiracy theories. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has uh, revealed that several of his Man U uh, squad remain unvaccinated, and anecdotal evidence suggests vaccine take-up remains a major problem in many clubs. Much of the research on the anti-vax movement has focused on political disengagement, the fraying bond of trust between many states and their citizens. In the popular uh, imagination, uh, the prototypical Western anti-vaxxer is a sort of fringe lunatic, a village idiot, perhaps even a political extremist. But the vaccine skeptics of professional sport remind us that the ra- ra- that radicalization and myth cut across boundaries of privilege and socio-economics. Partly, you feel the divide is generational across most countries. Vaccine hesitancy has been more prevalent among the young, but there are also problems here that are specific to sport. Being a professional athlete often entails cultivating a weirdly intense devotional relationship with one's own body. Frequently, it requires an irrational, almost superhuman belief in one's own physical resilience. As a consequence, many athletes are both obsessive about what they put in their body, excuse me, and voracious in their quest to improve and maintain it. A cocktail that leads many down the rabbit hole of a pseudo-medicine, of pseudo-medicine and disinformation. Quote uh, from Juventus defender Matthias, is it Matthias? Matthias Delict? I don't know how to say the first bit. I feel that you need to be the boss of your own body, of your body, and I have heard that you can be infected by one of the vaccines. Unquote. And he did recant. Uh, he did recant it after saying, by the way, how authorities deal with the vaccine reluctant, of course, is another question entirely. Thus far, very few sporting bodies have gone down the route of compulsory vaccinations, preferring a mixture of incentives, explanations, and polite encouragements. Doubtless, the prospect of being barred from competition. Uh, or foreign travel travel will would encourage many unvaccinated athletes to have it for their own careers, if nothing else. But over the longer term, if scepticism persists, sport will need to be active in crafting its own anti 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 vax message. Uh, the only remedy for a lie, after all, is the truth. <sighs> yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I I feel, you know, the the. The reasoning that Liu puts in turn, I wouldn't say he's like trying to defend what the athletes are saying, right? I, I think he's trying to just contextualize where they're coming from, and that's and that's kind of fascinating, and something I didn't really think about when uh, even thinking about the subject, because obviously I did um I did one on the NFL a while back, and you know that's still an issue. There's plenty of um you know vocal NFL players uh 
you know, that clearly unvaccinated or, you know, don't haven't exactly said it, but, you know, if they haven't said they're vaccinated, then they're probably unvaccinated, right? If you say anything else, you're probably unvaccinated, <clears throat> right? And, um, you know, I, I just don't really get it. I, I still, the, 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 the crux for me that Lou didn't point out and, you know, I pointed out in the NFL bit uh, from, from a few weeks back is that, you know, if you get COVID, you're going to lose out money. So, I don't know. You want to lose money? You know? And obviously for the NFL, it's much more, um, it's much more uh, obvious and they've, and they've kind of made it, um, they've kind of made it at a point where, uh, where you're literally going to lose money if you, and your whole team's going to lose money and the other team's going to lose money if, uh, you know, there aren't enough players to play for someone's team and they're going to have to forfeit, right? Obviously, tennis is a bit different. It's very individualistic. And I, you know, I completely understand on that front. Footballers is a bit different. I feel, um, you know, Premier League and a lot of other team sports should actually, well, I can't even say this, but should go the same way as the NFL. I said it. I said it. That's, that's, a, that's, that's a, you know, and, I, and I'm, I'm the guy that thinks that the American football, professional American football is going to die in less than 50 years, okay? So, you know, that, that that's come from me. Um, I think they, I think every, you know, Premier League, La Liga, all football leagues, uh, rugby leagues, whatever, um, cricket leagues even, um, I think they should all go down the route of the NFL and say, you know, if um, if there's an outbreak and uh, your and your team can't and you can't field a team, um, then you forfeit the game and you lose checks. Um, and you know, to get even, I, I've, yeah, you know, you can get more extreme than that, but um, I don't want to, you know, put that out in the universe right now because I don't really want really thinking it through on that front. But you know, I feel that's a good place to start. I feel that's a real good place to start. Um, but yeah, I, I, on the tennis player side, is um, yeah, they, I don't know, it's, all of this has really put me off tennis. Like, I, 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 I've gone off tennis in recent, in the past like year or so, in recent years, um, you know, and uh, yeah, this is just really, really starting to put me off um, of the whole thing. Just uh, knowing how honestly kind of dumb these guys are in some, in a lot of ways, it's just a, uh, it's just a little bit jarring just to see these guys just to uh, put their foot in their mouths just on a consistent basis and not even realizing how fucking stupid they sound. It's, uh, it's not really, you know, enticing me um, as a sports fan. we head into life and um you know as someone uh, I've, I've recently you know kept you guys abreast of my uh mini photography journey and uh, the reason why i've gone into that photography journey i've done a couple of uh you know i've read a couple of articles to do with photography um obviously that look that amazing piece on joe conzo jr um was something that really stuck out something that really sticks out for me and i've done a couple others as well um you know i've gone about on a uh, five uh, four or five shoots in the past term in the past few past few months, in the past month or so, um, and I've really enjoyed it. I've really enjoyed taking photos. I've really enjoyed, um, you know, trying to, you know, switch it up and change angles and, uh, you know, cover my subject properly, um, and also, you know, trying not to um, just rely on point and shoot and, you know, slap it on auto. You know, try to switch up my ISO and stuff like that. You know, I'm, I'm you know, trying to that learning curve still there for me, but um, you know, it's getting there. Um, 
but yeah, I even took some photos of made uh, made made a voyage, and I got some really good stuff there. Real, real good stuff. <coughs> um, and yeah, so I wanted to highlight this um, uh, in another way, in terms of black photography. And uh, I found this amazing article uh, via a toy. Uh, I think it's a T or O. Uh, yeah, toy toy lawyer Brown uh, the third. Uh, it's called the Black Beauty of Black Photography. This is via Aussie, and uh, yes, yeah, it's just a fun article to read. Um, Give you some re- recommendations on people to peep, and uh, you know why black photography is important, and why all photography is important in some way. Let's jump right in. We all know the importance of having representation in front of the camera, but what about behind the lens? In this time of social upheaval, when images of historic events and tragedies unfolding on our streets shape our daily conversations and our politicians' actions, who and where are the black documentary photographers? The reality is that African-American photographers have not always been valued and recognised for their artistry. In May, singer SZA turned down a magazine cover shoot after the unnamed publication that drew allegedly refused to hire a black photographer to take her portraits. That may be shocking, but it's nothing new. Legendary model Naomi Campbell re- revealed that a, 20, uh, that a 2019 cover shoot with the Guardian newspaper was the first time in 33 and a half years a black photographer had shot her uh, image for a mainstream media outlet. In that spirit... Today's 4th of July uh, Sunday Magazine profiles, uh, this dropped on July 3rd by the way, uh, just for note, um, uh, today's uh, 4th of July Sunday Magazine profiles, uh, the ra- rising black stars of photography salutes the trailblazers who've gone before and lift the lid on in the enduring racism, uh, on the enduring racism afflicting the photographer's industry to this day. Uh, overlooked, ignored, these are some of the sentiments of black photographers are reporting. Uh, black photographers are reporting. Some are frustrated that they do not receive the same opportunities as their white counterparts, especially in instances when, in the eyes of many, a black person has been uh, photographed poorly as a result of bad lighting. When Vogue hired the famed Annie Leibovitz uh, to photograph superstar gymnast Simone Biles for its uh, August 2020 issue, the move was slammed in many quarters. Quote, Vogue couldn't hi- ID- ID- IDK hire a black photographer to shoot this cover of Simone Biles, wondered Polly Iringuru. Irungu, Irungu, sorry, Irungu, there you go, uh, the founder of Black Women Photographers on Twitter. Uh, critiques from prominent photographers and photo edis- editors charged that uh, that the lighting was crudely done and the uh, and that ethically a black photographer uh, would better understand how to properly light another black person's skin. Leibovitz and Vogue had previously faced backlash for a 20, 2008 Vogue cover that featured LeBron James, the first ever black man to appear on, the, on its front, and supermodel Giselle Bundchen. Uh, witnessing mis- mishaps from established non-black photographers can be disheartening for those who know they are capable capable of doing better. But just as important, black photographers say they don't want to be uh, don't want to only be hired for black only black work only for black work when their passions and interests lie outside their race. Uh, sadly, the photography world is no different from other occupational fields when it comes to race. True, it may be balanced in terms of general quality. On of the 186,000 photographers recorded by the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics in 2020, 52.1% uh, were female. But when race and ethnicity are factored in, the disparities become more prominent, much more. Uh, the same stats show the most common race within photography was white, not Hispanic, 84.9%. Fuck. The second most common was Hispanic or Latino, 10%. Black photographers, for their part, were significantly underrepresented at just 6.7%. Uh, 
Uh, see, uh, ju- uh, the census has bumped to the, I think it's up to 13% for black people, black African Americans, uh, if I remember correctly. I mean, it was a week ago. Uh, the whole, uh, the uh, quote, the whole reason why there is so much racism, sexism, ageism, classism in the photography industry. Um, Daniel Scruggs, a picture desk editor for Getty Images and freelance photographer, told Aperture Magazine, quote, is because of all that uh, is because all of that exists in society. Unquote. Like many fields, the photo industry is a mirror reflecting back on the public and its and its ills, and thus finds itself ingrained with the same systemic racism in society on a wider scale. For example, racial and skin tone bias dates back to Kodak's Shirley card, an image of white of a white woman that served as a as the rubric for printing perfect a perfected color image in uh, in. In the four decades, okay. Uh, in the f- it says in the four decades, so I'm still I'm seeing it say the in the in the past decades or something. Anyway, starting in the 1950s, uh, photographer and English professor Sarita McFadden uh, explained to NPR's "Tell Me More" that much of the design of film and motion technology was intended to provide the best possible representation of white people, likely due to willful obliviousness. Uh, and the next bit is uh, called uh, "How F- George Floyd Changed Everything." So, just a just a note for that subtitle. Uh, shot, beaten, and profiled all on camera. Black photographers photographers have been deeply pained by the constant images still in motion, which serve as as triggers, as well as the deaths of black people and at the hands of law enforcement officers. Many have uh, acted to document the movement for black lives. Many have taken uh, on the role of storytellers during the social uprisings of the past year, especially due to the history of black voices being excluded or their stories being told dishonestly by others. Black photographers say they want ownership of their people's experience so that it can be preserved and framed accurately. Baltimore-based Devin Allen, who approaches his conflict photography by putting his own act at the forefront of his work, is one to watch out for. Should non-black photographers take pictures of Black Lives Matter protests? Should those images so easily attain uh, front-page prominence in a claim? There is no consensus, but there is obvious tension. New York Magazine chose a white conflict photographer's image for the cover of its June 8th, 2020 issue. Lindsay Peoples-Wagner, now the editor-in-chief of Vox Media's audio magazine The Cut, responded on Instagram, quote, Now I'm not saying all work uh, about black people has to be shot by black people, she wrote, but as someone who work at NYMAG and is married to a black photographer, this is beyond a shitty thing to do, unquote. All the while, uh, the protest movement fueled an awakening around the importance of hiring photographers intimately familiar with issues experienced by black people. Wherever, wherever we are in the world, photographers have raised concerns about the incidents... Yeah, incidents of parachute photography, whether travelling to the DRC, Congo, um, or South Chicago. The idea of producing a pre-scripted shot list rather than focusing on the significant organic scenes that are happening naturally is a trap many fall into. Editors often have a preconceived idea of the type of images they want, and that carries over to photographers and the work they produce. Last year, concerted efforts were made to illustrate publications to wide a uh, range of talented black photographers available and ready for the moment. One is a database established by Diversify Photo that includes over a thousand black photographers from around the world. <coughs> and they also have a stars of tomorrow kind of thing. Um, so there's a few names here. If I'll just shout them out for the sake. Uh, Sean Curtis, uh, he's a freelance photographer. Uh, uh, <laughs> oh, that's a name. Um, I'm going to guess that it's a uh, Shiana. K- 
is K P U K O K U Y O U. So Kapikoyu. Ugh, I do not feel comfortable about that. Sorry if I get that wrong. Uh, Polly Irungu, Irungu uh, m- mentioned before. Uh, Donovan Allwood, uh, Aisha Sakiri, uh, Sariki, sorry. Um, and also as Trailblazers, uh, if you guys want any uh, history lookups, uh, Florenstein, Perro uh, Collins, uh, Gordon Parks, Absolute G. Love me some Gordon Parks photography. Um, I, I really want to. If there's ever like, if there's like a photo book of his of his work, I'd love to get that. That'd be great. Uh, Elizabeth Tex Williams and uh, Malik Sadibe. Um, so yeah, if you want, if you guys want some history lessons or some names to look up for the future, go for that. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think it's something very fascinating talking about that, and it's like a journalistic sense um, of um, you know of literal photojournalism, and uh, obviously they they also mentioned you know the fashion and music world and stuff like that, and you know magazine photography obviously is a you know very uh, big thing and uh, something that people are getting more um, more aware of uh, on that front. Uh, and it is very obvious when you know it's, it's it's so obvious when a black person comes onto a uh, comes on a cover and it's just like what's what what the hell went on here, um, and you know a lot of that ills could be could be sorted with one one click of a finger and uh, you know getting someone of a uh, of a certain skin tone. Um, I think it's worth it. It is always worth it. And um, on the diversity and representation front, obviously, you know, in the same way, the art, in, in, in the same way, of a lot of arts, a lot of the arts, um, is always unrep- underrepresented, and I'm always here for that. I'm ho- I'm always here for that equality on that front. Um, you know, for me personally, I don't really take photos um, for <sighs> any um, you know professional claim. Um, I don't think I'm good enough for something as you know as a, something as a you know impromptu as uh, photojournalism. I'd like to try someday, but, you know, that's, again, on a recreational front. Um, if I ever just, you know, end up hap- end up somewhere and it needs some, it needs documenting, that'd be kind of, I'd, I'd like to, t- I'd like to rise up to that challenge. But, um, you know, that's impromptu, obviously. Um, and I'm not exactly a professional. But um, I do feel that a lot of these things um, is worth covering from a, uh, from black lens. And uh, especially when it's, like, covered and written about as well. Um, you know, if you have a writer, um, if you have a, a, a photojournalist that also writes, then they can fully contextualize, you know, what they did with those photos. <coughs> Obviously, most of the time the photos just go for, you know, um, uh, are just taken and then, uh, thrown onto a publication's, uh, front page and you just, you know, see as that and, you know, you, you guys don't know who took it. Most of the, most of the, most of us don't know who took it most of the time. Um, majority of the time. But you know, maybe it's worth maybe it's worth noting. Maybe it's worth giving a fo- giving maybe giving a photojournalist a, ty- a a platform to you know talk about what they what they took because yeah, it's always you know for for, for something like photojournalism, your whole career can be made off one photo and one photo alone. Um, and obviously, the best ones have several of those kind of one photos, uh, one you know, once in a lifetime photos. Um, but I always always wonder, um, you know. Did, how many did they take? Um, you know, because obviously you take one for sure, but uh, they obviously had a whole film's worth, and they just picked that one. Um, so I I always wonder, like, how many did they take? Um, you know, how how did they feel when they first saw the photo? Stuff like that. I I just think that kind of world is very fascinating. And um, yeah, to finish up, uh, you know, just shout out the black photographers, shout out all the photographers out there. 
doing bits, uh, doing your thing, whether it's fashion, photojournalism, or uh, landscape photography, you know, any any part of it. Um, shout out to all of you, shout out to all the black photographers continuing to document uh, the, beauty of, uh, the beauty of black photography. So we finish on second of two music uh, segments and uh, this is all about uh, Lee Scratch Perry uh, who recently died and um, age 85 and uh, you know I, when I when I cover when I uh, you know did a bunny whaler um, when he died um, you know I, I did a I think I did a piece by Lloyd Bradley and uh, you know he's a perfect person uh, he's a great person to get words from on the on the on the, uh, on the old school uh reggae scene especially um he actually did a piece on uh perry as well um in in light of uh, his death as well and it's a really good piece and um, there's also one on the rolling stone which i was thinking of uh doing as thinking of using as well um from somebody that was like just there i think it was like bon money's former manager or something uh quote me if i'm wrong but yeah it was on the rolling stone especially i know that for sure um but you know i kind of feel that scratch scratch perry isn't known enough um, and with that said, I just wanted to read a, you know, just a traditional obituary. Um, this is by Peter Mason from The Guardian. And um, I feel like this is a good place um, to just, like, uh, you know, have a well-rounded view. If you guys don't know who Lee Scratch Perry is, and I feel like a lot of people don't, um, this is a good place to uh, uh, to, to know. And uh, hopefully I can fill in some gaps as to why this guy was such a fucking legend in every sense of the world. Uh, so let's just jump right in. And maybe the article will, maybe the obituary will, uh, you know, tell us anyway. But, uh, you know, if not, then I'll, I'll happily try and fill in. Anyway, uh, Lee Scratch Perry, who died at age 85, was one of Jamaica's finest and most unpredictable record producers, as well as a much recorded singer. But perhaps his greatest global legacy was the fa- profound effect he had on the king of reggae, Bob Marley. As a singer in The Wailers with Peter Tosh and Bunny Livingston, uh, Marley had experienced a most a modest degree of success in Jamaica before he came into Perry's charismatic orbit in 1970. Okay, Perry changed the way Marley saw things, pulling him away from measured harmonies of a trio towards something more heartfelt. Urged on by Perry to take a more spiritual approach, he copied some of Perry's vocal phrasing, built a new bass-dominated sound, and with Perry's help began release uh, began to release a string of new songs such as Soul Rebel, Duppy Conqueror, uh, Kaya, and Small Axe. That would propel him onto the world stage. Although Perry and Marley parted company on poor terms before Marley really hit the big time as a solo artist, it was Perry's free-spirited unorthodoxy that drew the best out of the younger man. Essentially a layman in music circles, uh, Perry came up with ways of doing things that would rarely occur to trained musicians, and which they regularly rejected as unworkable until they tried them and found the contrary. His adventurous, shamanistic spirit brought him to the very top as a reggae producer in the mid to late 1970s when he ruled Jamaican music scene from his fabled Black Ark studio in the capital Kingston, creating, a cri- creating critically acclaimed uh, and popular records with artists such as the Heptones, Junior Biles, uh, Max Romeo and the Congos. His tiny 12-foot square workplace cluttered with strange artifacts produced a signature sound like no other, as distinctive in its own way as, the, as Phil Spector's famous wall of sound. The arc was also one of the great cradles of dub music, where Perry, along with his collaborator King Tubby, got under the bonnet of reggae. 
stripped it down to its bare essentials and reassembled it in a new form. Uh, adding a cacophony of uh, sound effects, reverberations and electronic exclamation marks. I love the word cacophony by the way. Uh, the golden years came to an abrupt end in 1979, however, when an overworked Perry, always GPU-centric but now increasingly unhinged by the consumption of unwise amounts of ganja and rum, burned the place down and walked into the wilderness. Perry had always trodden the thin line between genius and insanity. That was an, enig- an, an enigma uh, throughout his life. Born into harsh poverty in rural Jamaican town of Kendall to Ina, a field labourer, and Henry, who worked on the roads, he left school early. Uh, living itinerantly uh, and making a precarious living in the northwest of co- of the country as a professional dancer, dominoes player, and bulldozer driver. After a short-lived marriage to a local woman named Ruby Williams, he moved to Kingston in the early 60s, where he found work with Clement Coxone, I hope I said that right, Dodd's uh, famous sound sim, uh, which played American records to the masses at venues around the country. Uh, when when Dodd moved uh, into the record production and um, into record production and created his studio one label, Scratch helped him uh, out by talent spotting, arranging sessions in the studio and writing songs. Though he was not blessed with a great singing voice from 1961, he also began recording songs in his own right. Among his only output of around 30 singles was Chicken Scratch, uh, the song that gave him his nickname. Perry was one of Dodd's uh, key men in the early 60s, uh, but was never well rewarded for his efforts, and in 1966 he split acrimoniously uh, with his boss over personal and financial matters. Fallings out were not unusual where Perry was concerned, uh, and his other long-standing nickname was the Upsetter. He went on to work as, a fr- as freelance for uh, various producers, and in 1968 set up his own Upsetter label. By now, he was a recognised leader in his field, and Trojan Records in London even established its own licensed version of the upsetting imprint to put out his singles, one of which, Return Return of Django, reached number 5 in the UK charts in 1969. It was Perry's decision to sell his Whalers tapes to Trojan and pocket uh, the money for himself that brought uh, brought about a temporary end to his relationship with Marley. However, the subsequent album, African Herbsman, became one of the foundation uh, stones for Marley's recognition and the two were to work together later, notably on the single Punky Reggae Party. Perry began building the four-track Black Ark studio in the backyard of his Kingston house in 1973, and for the next five years produced some of the great works of reggae from his cupboard-like domain. The studio had a mystical air about it, which Perry put down to the presence of extraterrestrials, but in reality, the dense underwater sound that emerged from its walls was due to the constant overdubbing of material and consequent loss of sound quality. Improvisation was also the watchword, and Perry would often pluck unknown uh, musicians off the street to join a session. The classic single by Junior Mervyn, Police and Thieves, In the Streets, banger, uh, took form in this way, when Perry overheard the young singer strumming the nascent tune in the adjoining backyard. In his heyday, Perry was focused and clear-headed in the studio, able to convey exactly what he wanted, but in other arenas he was far from coherent. During the extended period of erratic, erratic behaviour that led to the burning of the Ark and the breakup of the relationship with the mother of his uh, of four of his children, Pauline Morrison, he took to walking backwards uh, in the street, uh, daubing is that, is that way? Daubing the studio um, and his house with arcane graffiti and pounding the ground repeatedly with a hammer. Though he was arrested for arson after the fire, he was released due to lack of evidence and the exact circumstances of the incident were never determined. Perry was not about to enlighten anyone, for he was always for he always preferred to talk in rhymes and riddles. After this episode, 
Perry left for the US before moving on to Amsterdam, then London, 1984, and eventually Switzerland, where in 1991 he married uh, Muriel Campbell Rigg. Uh, I butchered that one, Rigg. <laughs> it's R-U-E-G-G, but there's a two dots over the U, so I forgot how to pronounce the U. Uh, a businesswoman with whom he had two children. The couple returned to Jamaica in 2020. He made several albums of variable quality, appeared live on many occasions, and produced various uh, artists uh, in the late 80s, all the while stalked by wild stories of his odd behaviour. There had been half a half-hearted attempt to rebuild the ark during which Perry constructed a duck pond in the drum booth, but it came to nothing. Uh, be interesting to see. Um, instead, during the 90s, his old material found favour among a new generation of fans, and he benefited financially and critically from a plethora of reissues and compilations, including the comprehensive Arcology of uh, Drop to 1997. Uh, he collaborated with the dub producers Mad Professor and Adrian Sherwood and did some production work for the Beastie Boys, and in 2003 won a Grammy for Best Reggae Album with the recording, uh, with the recording Jamaican E.T. In an eerie echo... Of his days in the Ark, in 2015, Perry's recording studio in Switzerland was damaged by a fire that destroyed various unreleased recordings of some of his sta- stage gear and some of his stage gear. While much of his later work was a disappointment to his followers, he continued on his unconventional and unpredictable path to the very end. He is survived by Muriel and his children. <sighs> um. Yeah, ma'am. Um. It's just um. It's just really. Um a lot um to to scratch and um you know i feel like the the uh, the the invention the the basically invention the birthing dub music um that he you know um uh the the, the you know the the, the 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 obituary you know kind of kind of mentioned uh, you know in passing right um i feel like you know that is the that is the thing for me personally um that uh that really will, that's the thing I will remember the most, um, from, from someone like him, uh, you know, listen to his music, is so, you, 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 if you listen to his music, and you get that dub essence, right, and you get that echoey essence, you start to hear it a lot, in a lot of places, um, you know, I hear it in a lot of reggae now, uh, I heard, I hear in uh, you know Jesse Royal's music, Protege's music, um, all of all of their underlings, um, in, uh, artists and peers. Um, obviously you know other Marley's right. Damien um has a you know I remember like on Welcome to Jam Rock especially there's a there's like a dub refrain, um, in like the last um, I think it's the last uh, uh last few bars of the third verse. Um, it just it just echoes out the beat. Just it's just it's just it just blows my mind every time I hear some good dub. Um, um, yeah, even even that in contemporary terms. I mean, there's a lot of people that do dub remixes of certain songs, and you know they hit. Um, and you know, obviously, the roots reggae is something that is uh, you know, obviously there's something that Bob Marley took to the world. Um, Scratch clearly had a. Um, a big hand in that, and that shouldn't be uh, understated either in the um, in the in the annals of uh, roots reggae. But you know, um, after listening to du- after getting some dub reggae in recent years, um, it has really become something that has uh, it's one of those genres of music that just that just do something different. Um, you know, it doesn't it doesn't always sound the best, right? But it's 
you know the bass is always thick and the echoes i love the echoes i, I just i don't know i just love it and um if you want like a a really out there example i think there's a there's a refrain in sicko mode uh where there's like a there's like a dub essence to it um and even with that you know something small as that um for a song as big as that um to have something something uh you know something like put into a song like that um you know it's fascinating and it's a key ingredient to that kind of song um because obviously the song splits into two and you don't it's what 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 better way to get into to bridge it than having some dub just just echoing out to you um it's the best it's, it's it's some of the best um music you can hear um and uh yeah man i i i i, I want to at some point you know read more about um his eccentricities um uh, i'd love to read some of that because um you know that a, a person i've seen some of his interviews and it's clear that he's you know kind of like a you know uh, the obituary said humanistic, and I think that's a I think that's a perfect word for it. Um, it's a very, you know, generous word to give him as well. Um, and I agree, and I agree with it. <clears throat> it's a, uh, <laughs> it's 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 super cool. Uh, thinking about a guy that is so you know visionary, without even trying in some ways. Like it was, ju- it just came, it just came to one place, and the next thing it was like, oh right, I created up. <laughs> you know what I mean? I feel like I feel I feel like that's how that's how it comes across to me. Where it's just like oh, I'm doing one thing, I'm doing this, and now I'm fucking about with some, and now I'm fucking about with some knobs. Oh look, I just created a whole like new genre of music. I, I created a whole new subgenre of reggae. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just it's just it, it's fascinating, and um, yeah, I'd love to do more read on that. But anyway, I should leave it there. R.I.P. to Mr. Lee Scratch Perry. Um, go peep some music, guys. Just, just go, go get, go, in, go get in some dub. Um, go, go teach yourself and uh, just, just vibe out. Just, just vibe out because that's what it's all about. Ladies and gentlemen, from the Fifth End Podcast Network, I've been Charlie Terry, and it's been what's good. The intro music has been too much vibe vanilla. You can find this link in the full show notes as well as to your records. Thanks for the ability to use the track. We can find uh, hit their link also in the full show notes. Thanks and happy hire for the ability to use charismatic for the interlude. You can also find his link in the full show notes. And with that said, hope you all have a good week. I shall always try and do the same. Did a whole show with a sore throat and I'm wondering if anybody noticed. <laughs> but until the next time, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen.